0: Okay, so we are joined here today by Jason Mayer and Megan Lewis. Uh, Jason, you are on for the first time. I haven't had you on before. So it's going to be great to chat with you. Uh, And Megan was on with me back in Episode 34. um, Life as a private practitioner during the pandemic. So welcome back, Megan. Um, Why don't we kick things off by allowing each of you to introduce yourself, Megan, reintroduce yourself. Uh, We'll go ladies first.
1: Okay, so I am Megan Lewis. I'm the director of audiology at Wake Forest Baptist Health. Uh, we're a large system uh, altogether. We have uh, 26 audiologists across several different locations, uh, and we do a little bit of everything.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you for coming back on today, um, Jason. How about you?
2: Hi Dave. Hi Megan. Um, Jason Mayer. I work at Phonak. I I head up um, the commercial sales team in the US. And I've been working in the industry since 2003. So prior to that, I was in uh, financial services and also in marketing. Um, But I'm in this this industry. It's really grabbed me by the heart and soul and I'm, I'm here to stay. Glad to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thank you two very much for uh, taking the time to meet with me today. Um, as you heard, we have Megan, who's an audiologist and we have Jason who is uh, with Phonex, so one of the hearing aid manufacturers. And the purpose of today's discussion is really gonna be around um, a more in-depth conversation around telehealth. I think that we probably can recognize that, you know, the state of the world as it is right now in this pandemic state is probably gonna stay with us for a little while. And I think that therefore we're gonna to have to continue to kind of adapt to these new norms. And obviously one of those new norms is the social distancing piece. You know, the the fact that a lot of remote services aren't just sort of like a novelty anymore, they're becoming a necessity. And uh, so I wanted to get into this idea of, you know, like, what do these tools look like as we move forward, and um I wanted to bring Jason on as you know a representative from one of the hearing aid manufacturers. Uh, we'll be talking specifically about phonex tools today, and then I wanted to have Megan on as well um, because I know that you know she's an actual audiologist who's using these different tools so um why don't we start with Megan? Can you just share with us? I know that in the episode that I had you on earlier. Um, you shared, you know, some of the different ways that you've been adapting. I had a lot of really good feedback on your story about um, the, you know, the lady honking at you out in the parking lot, uh, which is really funny to get your attention. Um, but I think that kind of speaks to this fact that, you know, we're we're all so new to this. And I'm curious, like, I think when we last spoke, you had said that telehealth wasn't something that you had been doing a whole lot of, but now it's becoming something that's a whole lot more routine for you. So can you just share with us, like, what has that transition been like for you and what this new norm kind of looks like in a day-to-day, you know, the day in the life of Megan Lewis um, from a, you know, like a work standpoint, how often are you doing these sort of remote, like, telehealth services?
1: Okay, So my perspective, maybe a little, little bit, so I'm looking at I, well, I see patients, and I do use the software. I'm also, I'm also supervising the audiologists who are using it, and and looking at the overall picture of what is our what is our whole program doing. But um, I will say, you mentioned we we weren't really on the forefront of using the remote technology has existed for a while, and I will say there was, there was, there, we had not done a good job of embracing it. I'll be the first to admit we kind of. COVID happened and then it was, oh, well, how can we still stay open and socially distance and help our patients? So like you mentioned before, we were trying to do a lot of uh, visits, you know, in the parking lot where we were yeah. kind of trying to keep people, keep people's devices working. And that it was just um it, good for the patient, but it had its own logistical concerns, like that, like our, like the lady whose car I couldn't find, and so then she was honking to try and let me know where she was. I, you know, I think that uh, we were learning too that um, we were trying very hard to stay open and to to see patients, and one of one of the ways in which we were able to do that, quite honestly, was to be able to remotely program some hearing aids. Uh, especially there were there were people who um, had kind of been in the pipeline, so to speak, to get their devices, and we're looking forward to it. And um, because of because of COVID, we weren't able to see them in the office, but they were able to come pick up their devices, and we did some remote programming. Uh, first fit, even first fit, they picked up their devices. We programmed them from home, and those people were extremely grateful. Um, because otherwise they, we were in this unknown period, right? We didn't know how long we were gonna have to wait to get them back in the office. And um, from that perspective, that it was extremely helpful. Um, There were definitely some kinks to be worked out as far as getting the software installed appropriately, getting people, you know, having the app on their phone, walking them through that. So I will say it from a, from a time perspective, I mean, it's somewhat time consuming or it can be to try and talk these individuals through over the phone, what to do, how to get set up, and then from our end, out logging on. Some of that, truly, because we were new to it, took us some time to figure out, right? It, we, were, we were working through the bugs on our end as well as the patients. that I have since learned um, Now that we're more back, we're back more uh, full time. I guess you would say in the office, having those patients sign up for the service in the office and walking them through and doing and and doing a remote visit while they're there is extremely helpful. In fact, I just um, received this lovely card (laughs) in the mail. From a 95 year old man that I fit last week. Uh, really. He yes. So he um, he came to see me. He lives about two three hours away in Virginia, and um, he initially come to see us for a cochlear implant evaluation. And he um, a- after looking at his previous hearing aids, we decided he needed new devices. And um, It it significantly improved his speech discrimination, you know, fitting him appropriately. So he came in uh, last week, and we fit him, and he has an iPhone, actually. So Mm -hmm. um, he and his son-in-law who accompanied him were thrilled that the remote programming is an option for them, because while they came in, he is 95. So he's somebody who uh, is at higher risk. But also they live two hours away. So for both of those reasons, having an option to be able to remotely program him is a great is a great thing. Now his son-in-law helps him with that, but he's able to do it. So um, it's surprising to me because I would never have thought a 95 year old patient would be somebody who would right. find that to be helpful and beneficial, and especially for his family, I think it is. So. Um, yeah.
0: Well, nothing. I think that's. I I was just gonna say, I think that's really interesting. Like you make a good point there where it's like, you know, the circumstances, I think, are changing the whole perception of everything here where it's like this in in pre COVID era. It would have been like, well, wouldn't it make more sense for him to just come in because we're going to have so much of a technical barrier to even get him onto this and that's going to potentially lead to frustration and just a poor experience. And I think now you know, it's just like, it's flipped it on its head, but you made an interesting point there, which is, I think speaks to the broader picture here around this whole idea of, um, you know, it takes a lot of time, you know, like we're still learning. And I think there's quite a bit of a learning gap here. And I want to kick it over to Jason, because I'm curious, Jason, like how Phonak is thinking about this more broadly, because obviously it's in Phonak's best interest for the professionals that dispense its hearing aids. Um, to be able to facilitate the sale of these devices as efficiently as possible. And therefore, I think telehealth and these remote fittings and remote services are at the utmost importance right now. Um, so, Jason, can you just share with me, um, you know, I guess, like, over the course of the last six months, um, like, what has the perception been like within Phonac, within Sunova, uh around telehealth and, and what the general, um, I guess, emphasis of it is right now within the company
2: yeah sure megan thanks for sharing those stories and i i love the card yeah it's been interesting we've um long held a suspicion that the 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 nature of the the interaction between the patient and the provider would evolve over time so we actually started looking at um, enabling some sort of remote interaction years ago probably 10 years ago and we started developing concepts and structures and kind of interaction models um, probably long before we actually had the technology to achieve them. But that, that's kind of how the team works. They're always waiting for the technology to catch up with their, their thoughts and ideas. Um, and along the way, we actually made a small acquisition down in Australia with a company called Blamey Saunders. Blamey Saunders. Mm-hmm. Um, really because they were a pioneer in this, this idea of a blended model. So this was um, a startup in Australia by a couple of PhD doctors who really were coming at um, hearing healthcare from um, a similar position to how the OTC movement is um, gained shape in in, in the US. And it was around affordability and access. And so they developed literally from the ground up fitting software, um, a different type of hearing test of the one that we traditionally use uh, new technology, and they assumed from their market research that this would be entirely remote, so they got great PR like national coverage breakfast TV news channels the whole thing and they launched this to a, a blaze of you know disruption from all the business press and lots of um, interest from consumer welfare groups in the and the like and within about 12 months, they started getting feedback from their very satisfied consumers. that um, hey, I love this online digital experience, it's really cool, um, but I would love to meet someone. Mm-hmm. And so there's something interesting in that, right? Yeah. When you look at them, they're now this complete hybrid model where they built out brick and mortar locations, very much in line with the traditional model that we've seen for years. And they offer their consumers this blended choice where you can maybe go online and get your hearing test done or the hearing evaluation. Um, noodle around, choose which style you like, which color, which one will go with your hair, or your glasses or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then come in for the fitting or alternatively come into one of our showrooms, pick these things up, you know, kind of get a feel for it. And then we'll do the, the fitting and everything else in the privacy and comfort of your own home. And we just thought that was really interesting because, like I say, we we could see more and more um, kind of retail industries moving to this blended model. And we 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 couldn't see any reason why hearing healthcare might not end up in the same direction. Of course, what's happened since COVID is everything gets accelerated. What we thought might Mm -hmm. take five years to happen suddenly happens overnight. I read an article about the Mayo Clinic and they had Their um, chief digital strategy officer, or whatever his his title was, talking about how they set certain goals for telehealth interactions and and use of certain software features, um, and they hit year ten
0: in two months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They hit year ten in two months. Yeah. (laughs)
2: That's unbelievable. Yeah of different KPIs and metrics they were looking at Mm -hmm. they said we've already done what we where we thought would be in 2030.
0: Yeah I mean I think that that's um, I mean that's the thing here is that it's the great accelerant like I think that there were a lot of pre-existing trends that were like you said like Mayo Clinic projecting in 10 years time it's going to be x and then you know in two months it's, it's unbelievable but I think that that is exactly the point here is that, um, you know, I was having this conversation earlier, I think I had it with Jeff Kooling, where we were talking about how, you know, this idea where we kind of thought that like, OTC was going to be the big disruptor for the industry. And like, lo and behold, it's this global pandemic. Um, But I think that, you know, there's, there's probably some optimism in what you just said about blamey saunders because with blamey saunders you had uh you know they had to basically go from a digital presence to um the brick and mortar presence which is a whole lot more cash and you know cost intensive and all that whereas for the us in particular you know you already have all of the brick and mortar uh clinics already available so it's now just a matter of incorporating that digital aspect to this and i think that the, the hearing uh, manufacturers, the hearing aid manufacturers are the ones that can really help to um, sort of move this forward because they have the resources to help to enable, you know, the facilitation of these different things, uh, which is what I want to now get into, which are some of these different tools that Phonak in particular has rolled out. Um, and I'm curious, Megan, to like get some of your imp- in, you know, your input around this. So the first one is, um, let's see, Phonak Hearing Screener, right? So this is the idea that you would be able to just go onto a website and take an online hearing test. So Megan, as an audiologist, how does that make you feel? Like what? Again, through the lens of the fact that it's not like we have a choice in some instances. Yeah. Um some people out there this is now like the only thing the only alternative available but obviously it's not something that maybe would have been the preferred method and so i want to speak through some of the challenges of how we can maybe get it up to par with the legacy method of doing it in you know in the actual office
1: yeah i think it's a good question because actually during uh we i won't say shut down but yeah essentially we were just you know bare bones staffed and trying to keep as hands off and people out of the building. It was a real concern, right, to be able to test someone's hearing remotely without the use of a person. Um, and this screener, I see kind of differently. Uh, we, we haven't used the screener, but I've looked into it. And in in fact, I was just reading an article. There's an, audio, uh, there's an article in audiology today, this month, uh, looking at several different factors related to COVID, but there, part of it was the use of these screeners and how accurate they can be um, within, I don't know, 10 dB of, of a person's actual hearing. And I, I do find, that, I mean, I think that there are many, one, I think there are many consumers who are more likely to take that kind of a test, kind of dip their toe into the water. Like, oh, my wife has been really, I mean, she keeps nagging me about my hearing. If I take this, maybe I can get her off of my back. Yeah, then that may also be they can take it in the privacy of their own home, and then mm-hmm. that will also be the thing that says, "Oh, well, maybe it's not quite normal," and then direct them to it. That's kind of where I see this, the the phone screener going in, and I would like to actually put it on our website, but um, I see that as being different than maybe some of the, there are some other. Test type, not mm-hmm. just screening type, but more of test type. Remote devices. I think there's a place for that. I think what the important thing it will be how we follow up with that. So, if someone takes a test, then what happens with that? Where does it right. go? Does it then go, you know, out into thin air, just for their own, you know, edification. Or does that go to an audiologist, hearing healthcare professional, who can then hopefully help them to do something about their about their hearing. I, I think, you know, you've mentioned a hybrid model. I think that we're, if I'm truly looking at audiology and about the world as it is today, I know that we have to change. I know mm-hmm. that we have to have more options for patients. And I'm thinking about myself even as a patient. Um, you know, in thinking about my own appointments, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do things virtually as much as possible. Why wouldn't our hearing patients do the same thing? So I, I, I definitely see the, the place for that. My hope for, for uh, it, that is a tool that will then help me to better fit the, or maybe better um, streamline how those patients get into the system.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, it's this idea that, and maybe part of it is how it's positioned, right? Um, yeah. Because I think that maybe some of the hesitancy, and and I don't want to speak for the profession in any capacity, but this is my own gut reaction, is that maybe there would be a sense of, um, that this isn't uh, up to the proper standard or something to that effect. And But by referring to it as a screener, I think that's the right nomenclature because right you're basically making mention that this is something that we're just trying to get a baseline reading of of where you stand and you know yeah. do you should you pursue the next step and it's I think I think again this speaks to this idea that you know if we're already are you know all forced to kind of like adapt in certain ways maybe we go and we do the extra mile of like this is a good new way to capture leads that maybe we hadn't been doing before you know if you're in the process now of redesigning your website, adding an e-commerce element to it, whatever that might be, you know, is it like, well, maybe I should add a hearing screener to it or something like that. And so, um, I just, I, I think it's an interesting way to think about, like, maybe this is just a new way that you can get some of the people into the funnel, like you said, a little bit sooner and get them to recognize that they might have something that's worth, you know, taking that next step on. So Jason, um, when, you know, from Phonak's standpoint, or their, their uh, perspective here, um, where do you see this hearing screener evolving? Is it something that you think just sits on the phonac website, or is this something that you guys could potentially roll out for more practices to have on theirs, and, you know, something that would be kind of like in an enablement-type thing for the providers in the phonac network?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I think again, it's such a fascinating topic. when what we've seen so far is that there is, um, that there are two main barriers in the kind of clinical um, population. The first one is a fear of somehow becoming redundant, fear of redundancy or, or a fear of somehow opening up uh, what was previously their very um, passionately defended marketplace, their community opening that up somehow to some distant online giant that really doesn't have the same interest at heart, but is purely interested in shifting boxes. Now, I think that's a valid concern. And the second one, obviously, is is from a clinical standpoint, are we able to best serve the needs of patients through things like, you know, online tests and online screeners and remote fittings? Our intention is always to enable our, Retailers, our our customers, our clinicians, throughout our, our organization to engage with their communities as effectively as possible. And um, that's the number one thing. So actually, we've already started the process of rolling out these screeners onto other people's websites. And Megan, if we haven't communicated that effectively, then shame on us. But that that is really <laughs> an option. Okay, so yeah
1: neck we, is we, definitely we do, that well. Yeah. We can connect
2: offline, <laughs> we can connect offline and, and we'll make sure that we, we um, enable that and make it happen. But I, I think it's an important thing that our industry generally misses is that we, we tend to think in absolutes. We think about all, all patients, all customers, yeah. right? It, it's always about understanding what are the different segments that exist? Um, what are their kind of behavioral and, 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 and personality goals? and how do we best fit to suit them? And if there's anything that, that's you know, ringing the alarm bells for us as an industry, it's that if we don't find a way, and, and Megan, what I loved about your story earlier on is you, you and the team decided to find a way. Listen, we're gonna find a way to stay open, we're gonna find a way to look after our patients, but we somehow need to expand that mindset and say in general for the 50 million Americans in the US or whatever the stats say, we need to find a way to engage with them mm-hmm. We do a great job for thirty five percent you know the, the face to face in depth clinical consultations works just fine, but we fail to find a way so far for the other sixty five percent and if things like online screeners and more kind of remote um, support is somehow finding a way then then let's do it so Do we think that all consumers will end up in a kind of brick and mortar in the future? No. But equally, do we think that all consumers will end up in a completely virtual environment? Um, Absolutely not. It's definitely creating more options for more consumers and using the technology available. That's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, I love that point that it's, you know, this idea where you're taking the technology that's available, and maybe, like you said, it's not something that's necessarily gonna appeal to everybody, but I think even if it appeals to a small portion, I think that's meaningful. Yep. Yeah.
1: I kind of think about it, you know, when we talk about our services, when our audiologists talk about our services, that way we kind of talk about it being a spectrum, right? Because you might be somebody who needs um, the mildest of, mildest gain hearing aids entry-level device, something just to where if you've got minimal hearing loss just occasionally or maybe even a candidate for PSAP all the way to a cochlear implant, I can see hearing healthcare becoming the spectrum, right, of virtual versus in-person. You kind of decide how much assistance you need Mm -hmm. uh, and in what manner. And having more options is only going to reach more people, in my mind, is only going to reach a wider range of people. And maybe people won't wait 10 years to get their first set of hearing aids. Uh, mm-hmm. uh and and you know in in our part of the country our part of the state even there are some some rural areas, and it's hard for those folks uh if they if they want to go see someone and they're really having a significant problem to get out and 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 drive to go see a, a provider and I think um if I can at least cut that down and that it, it goes a long way towards goodwill yep.
0: yeah. Yeah, I agree. So we're getting into some pretty interesting stuff here with regard to the different business models. Um, So I wanna touch on some of these other tools. So maybe we can just kind of blend these all together because the way I'm looking at this, Megan, to your point, is this idea where I think we need to completely rethink the way in which the professional uh, charges you know, more or less, especially as this becomes something that I think is going to be so service-oriented. You're obviously going to be involved in the facilitation of the dispensing of the device. Like, I don't think that's necessarily going to go away, but to Jason's point, you there are so many different things that go, I think, beyond just the fitting of the device into, and and I think, you know, the catalyst for this really is, The telehealth, I think it's this ability to be able to connect in real time and have that level of support that we've never really seen before. I think traditionally what we're used to as an industry is this idea where you have a problem. You schedule an appointment, you drive 20 minutes an hour, however far you see them, and then. You have to recall like okay so i am at work and this is the way that things sound and so you're doing your best to sort of recreate the, the problem that you you know is a persistent problem for you and you have to go through all this effort in order to reenact it like i said like from driving to the clinic and scheduling the appointment and all this and so that's what gets me so excited about some of these new tools is like first of all you have the myphonic app right so i think that's a really game-changing moment um, within this industry is that the hearing aid manufacturers have apps now and the apps are where all of this can be facilitated. So you have the my Phonak app and in there you can have this real time support with an audiologist where you're able to in situation be like, okay, I'm in, I'm at work and this is the environment that I'm in. It's this conference room and I can't hear worth a damn. And, and, you know, you're able to actually see as the provider, like, the data, you can see everything in real time. That's, I think, a really game changing moment. And I don't think that it's enough to just say, well, we'll just kind of take this amazing new value that we're providing and we're just going to fit it right back into the square peg um, of saying like, oh, it's part of your bundled service package. I think it speaks to a broader theme that I think we have to uh, as an industry rethink the way in which we bill for time um, in this idea where it's like, maybe the job of the audiologist as time evolves is like you said, you have this, you know, you have this optionality where you say, okay, you can either come in and we can do the traditional method where we see, and we we sit face to face to Jason's point. A lot of people still like that. That's not going to go away, but you provide this like, level of like digital interaction as well. It could just be that remote fitting for the first time that you're getting your hearing aids, or you just want to do a new adjustment, something like that. Or it can be something as, um, you know, uh, I guess like the top tier, which would be real time sort of like adjustments, that kind of thing. So I'm very curious, Megan, I'll let you go first here. What are your thoughts on this? Like, do you see this as being Kind of like the evolution of where this industry goes, facilitated by this sort of enhancement in technology.
1: Yeah. So I think okay. So I I think this is going to be a long answer because I I mm-hmm. could talk about this for a while. And I think it it's certainly this has has been an impetus. It's not just it's not just COVID or virtual technology that I think has made our bundling or our unbundling. See, there's been a uh, slip there. But yeah. I, I, I think that it's made us think about. It. So, at Wake Forest, we have kind of a hybrid model. Um, so, if you think about um, providing what I would consider best practice for a patient, typically we're going to want to, at a consult, do some some um, subjective and objective measures. And then we, so, in a perfect world, if I'm I would want to do all of those things, but there are people who aren't gonna want that. There are people who are gonna want things a la carte. And there are people who are gonna come to me with their hearing aids uh, from other offices and maybe from Florida, or um, they've bought them somewhere else and they want them adjusted. and, And because I believe that we offer quality service, then I want to help that person to hear. So I think that there are actually a fair number of audiologists who don't realize that there are CPT codes for most everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because I've talked to them and I think it's important, well, we need to get paid for what we do. But, but also I think that by explaining what you're doing to that, for that patient, there's value in that. If you're saying to that person, I, "These are the things that I'm going to do today," there's a charge for that. And historically, um, audiologists have bundled all of their service for years and years. And and I, I agree. I think as we change and evolve to third-party payers, to insurance contracts, mm-hmm. uh, to OTC devices, and yeah, yeah, virtual, virtual. I think that we have to we have to change that because. Otherwise, it doesn't fit with that. At one point it probably did, but I don't think that we can provide the same level of care or the same variety of care and need the needs of our patients. We might be able to meet a small subsection of our patients by staying in a bundled type world. But I, I believe that there are other, we can help, we can do better than that. Um, people who come from far away, um, who need service, uh, I just, they should be able to receive that service without getting any hearing aids.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you, before I kick it over to Jason, um, the CPT codes piece is really interesting to me because this is something that it's, again, like, it's so new that, you know, maybe for even one person that's listening or a few people that are listening that might be uh, professional um, that would be interested in this, I feel like that's part of, like, the issue here is that it's like you want to get, you know, you want to immerse yourself in this, but it's like, I don't even know how to properly bill for this. So, like, for you personally, how did you go about, like, uh, understanding all the proper ways in which you bill for these different CPT codes? And am I understanding One it correctly? Good. Well, I was going to say, am I understanding correctly that these are like codes for reimbursement on tele- telemedicine?
1: So a couple so. Two things, so just because there are CPT codes does not mean that they will be reimbursed, okay. classified. Um, traditionally, Medicare has not reimbursed them, but, but let's, you know, that being said, there are more and more third parties who are becoming involved in this. There's True Hearing, there's Amplifon, there's you know multiple, and, and there are a lot of, that's political too, So there are audiologists who are participating, audiologists who are not participating, but they exist, Mm -hmm. and the fact that more and more uh, payers are looking at those codes uh, cannot go unnoticed, that more and more people have hearing coverage that they're going to want to use, and also that there's legislation on the table that would require uh, Medicare to cover some sort of device for many people with severe hearing loss. I mean, I think that you, all of these things are going to be come, come up. They're on the yeah. table. So the CPT codes exist. Um, like I said, they're not always reimbursed, but before we were we were people were paying cash. So why would they not pay cash? In a in a more line item type structure, so they pay mm-hmm. for the check and clean, they pay for their their uh, dispensing fee, they pay for their. Before they were just paying in a bundle, and they didn't know what they were paying. It's kind of my my just impression. It, I feel like in our clinic, we tell them these are the things, these are the items that you're paying for, and then we also have after you finish your um, your 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 bundled 45 day period, then you can either choose to pay as you go or you can purchase a service package. Um, I know in our clinic, most people pay as they go. And I think that also depends quite a bit on how you counsel people, because I know of other clinics that are uh, itemized to have almost all of their patients have a bundle package. Um, The important thing though, I think is those patients have options. So there are many people that I've seen uh, have been able to get into hearing aids because their their first with the the what the, the, they're paying up front that in first infusion that bolus of cash is less because of an itemized model. So so there's that. Um, the third party payers. I think you asked about billing and and kind of what's reimbursed, and that really truly depends on the contracts. So okay. Um, the contracts vary pretty significantly, for, at least in my organization, depending on um, which tax ID we're talking about. So, it's important to know what your contracts yeah. will pay for and what they won't pay for, um, and that is ever changing. Got it as is, which, you know, which insurance companies contract with, with which third parties that's also changing. So I, I think that that's going to be, that's going to be forever changing model. But, um, by providing all of those different codes and having a charge associated with that, I'm able to provide that service to the patient. In a very flexible kind of manner.
0: Cool. Okay. That makes sense. So, uh Jason, um going, you know, off of the uh, you know, this idea that this might spur on some new business models. Um what are your thoughts to this about this idea where maybe, you know, as a provider, you might be able to charge for your time, charge for new services that maybe previously didn't make a whole lot of sense prior to a uh, world full of COVID.
2: Well, some some people some people would argue that it's always made a lot of sense,
0: right? Yeah.
2: Um, yep. I think Megan probably was one of those. <laughs> I, I remember, <laughs> remember <laughs> you debating this with somebody um, a couple of years back, um, and honestly, personally, I I fall on that side of the equation. I think it's always made sense, um, but I've also seen people who've decided to implement it and have even become um, very vocal. Um, Mouthpieces for the whole idea of unbundling, who then changed their mind and, and reversed the decision. I think it would be obviously much easier if the industry all signed a, a commitment that tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., we will all go unbundled. That's I think it would be great point. for the industry and it would be great for the consumers. Um, because then you could really focus on what we've always, e- even as manufacturers, I think we've always known is that the real value isn't the product, the product is. Uh, the toolbox, the value comes from the clinician. Um, And then really you can generate more or less revenue based on your ability to demonstrate value. The challenge with that, of course, is that um, just verbatim, some examples I can think of off the top of my head, people say, okay, we went unbundled, and then we found out instead of coming to us for service appointments, they went to somebody else and said, "I'll, I'll look after you for free, just buy your next set from me. So there's that kind of real world, challenge and i think it's it's less challenging for um clinics that really demonstrate so much value that the patient understands it from the get-go whereas clinics who decide to unbundle but don't change the patient experience and operate pretty much like any other kind of retail operation would the patient probably sits there and thinks well why would i pay for that Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't feel different i didn't get a wow either from a consumer experience or from a kind of audiological quality of care experience. So I think, what do I think? I, I I think it's the right way to go eventually, but I'm sure it will also put the monkey on the shoulder for a lot of clinics to really up their game. But yeah. the, you know, the patient experience from a lot of places that I've seen, I mean, really? It, it's it, we talk about market penetration and the big market track numbers and so much of it sits in the fact that you're sitting in a waiting room that nobody's taken a fresh look at for 20 years Um, to book an appointment. You were left on hold for 15 minutes. Um, You know, just all the little basic things that you look at optometry, you look at dental, those industries have really upped their game. They understand the importance of referrals, word of mouth, the, the experience, I think our industry is just beginning to really latch onto
0: that. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And I I think that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm I'm really glad that you actually took the counter position there too, to point out that, you know, this idea where there is, uh, there are counter arguments to the idea of unbundling, you know, like you said, where people might say, well, I did unbundled and then what ended up happening is just like you said, they went elsewhere to a bundled model that you know, all I had to do was spend a couple hundred dollars more um, to bundle and then I was able to get all of the like service and all that um, for free, quote unquote free. Um, But to your point, I I think that this is the catalyst for where it's gonna kind of become survival of the fittest. I think that you'll have to Uh, you'll have to be exceptional um, in your market because I think that the status quo is getting hit so hard here and um, it's I think that what had been the case prior to the pandemic was that you had a lot of people that were just abiding by the status quo because it was it was easy and there wasn't a whole lot of reason to change other than maybe incrementally change Um, but now I mean I'm anticipating that what you might see is one you know one provider in a zip code knocks it out of the park and and what I mean by that is their website's the best like you said maybe instead of having you know a call waiting like they have it so that it's done through a chat system um something that can dramatically improve the experience so that it's just like they sort of start to be a little bit of a Gravitational pull in their market and I look at this and I think like this whole real time support is a really good example of that because in my eyes, you hear about all these things that are like subscription models. Um, You know, what happens if you have a guy in your gal and your, uh, you know, a competitor of yours that offers real time support they've outfitted their practice to have the capacity to handle it so that. They can see people in real time um and it's you know part of a subscription you know you pay fifty dollars a year or whatever they determined is the break-even point or so that they're making money um but it goes back to this idea of like you know traditionally maybe the bundled model makes sense now what might make a whole lot of sense in your market that you're competing with is this person that has a, a hybrid model that they've completely embraced all of this new technology um, while doing everything, you know, the traditional stuff, the face-to-face stuff really, really well too, but they're handling all of these new, um, this new demand, I guess, in a way that I think is conducive to our new times. Um, I just look at it as like, there's, I think the potential for, certain practitioners to really really thrive here and then on the other end of the spectrum you're going to have some people that i think that if they think that the status quo can remain i just don't see them being very viable uh you know in these new times i think yeah sorry go ahead megan
1: no i'm sorry i have a i have a bad habit of interrupting people. so oh, i right. i uh i was going to say if you look at the last hearing track uh market track then it It was encouraging to me because it talks about how folks would still, I think it's about 70% of people would still, given the choice of doing, and these are people who have and have not had hearing aids before, given the choice of going with an OTC model versus going to see a hearing healthcare practitioner, many of them would still choose to see a hearing healthcare practitioner because they want someone to shepherd them kind of through the process. Yes. Yes. But that doesn't mean I don't think that that has to be in person. I think mm-hmm. in fact, you may capture some of those people in a virtual type world. That doesn't mean they never come into your office, That it might make it easier for them. Um, so I'm going to give. so for me personally, I, I there's I need to do some work in my house, so I. Shopped around, and the one company that has it has an online consult—not online, but like a virtual consultation, right? So they will call me and FaceTime with me and talk to me about what I need. I went with them, quite quite honestly, because it works with my schedule and it's Mm -hmm. easier. And I think that we are kind of going to be doing the same thing. Can I? We even did some virtual hearing aid consults uh, during COVID, like talk to people it wasn't everything that i would normally do i couldn't do uh bkb sin the booth and i couldn't do loudest measures but we can talk to them about what their listening needs are and do some subjective measures and some baseline type things and show them what some models are to make it easier for them and i think right now uh you know we've we've talked before about that the the consumer experience when you're looking at what makes satisfied Customers or consumers or patients, it's the feeling that they have when they interact with your business. Yeah. The ways that we can do that (laughs) virtual consult and honestly, I mean, in some ways in our office, because it's a busy office, it's helpful right now because then uh, our lobby is kind of tiny. So I'm trying to socially distance people and it's a challenge, to be honest, because with multiple uh, ENT doctors and audiologists, sometimes just having the um, the virtual visits, it's helpful to kind of space people out. That doesn't mean they never come in, but maybe they come in for one of their three visits, and mm-hmm. they, they, they do a virtual consult. We do so. Maybe it, it looks like this. Maybe we do. The, they come in through the the hearing screener, and they get our office name. And then they come in and they do a diagnostic hearing test and I do loudness discomfort measures and I do And then maybe we have a virtual hearing aid consultation where I talk to them about their additional listening needs and, um, describe to them the expectations and, and what some, some devices are with their spouse because they're at home and they're next to each other and they can both be there and I don't have to worry about office space and then maybe they come in for their fitting and i do my um my real ear measures and i adjust them to to prescription and and i do orientation and then i can have follow-up visits virtually they don't have to be in the office so i i think for me right now i think it makes a whole lot of sense
2: i mean sometimes there's a danger that we can get in our own little bubble and we can talk the industry down right i mean the reality is there are some extraordinary clinics across this country
0: yeah
2: Um, i think many of them were on some of them at least were on your panel uh, a few weeks back i I saw some of the names there you know jill cheryl in northern ohio
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um was there down in in texas but just extraordinary forward thinking um not just entrepreneurial but but really thinking deeply about their their practice through the patient's eyes and then being remorseless about making things better, like being obsessive, ruthlessly putting out things that aren't perfect and trying to figure out a better way. But I think in general, there's still a large kind of population in our industry that are almost on the fence and figuring out, yeah, it's the normal change process. You get the early adopters and then you get the laggers. And the big question is, the people in the middle. How long will it take them to move? Because if we don't move, uh, particularly if you think about the world of private practice, it creates opportunities for new entrants. Mm-hmm. New entrants only exist because the incumbent isn't doing the right job, right? Uber would never have existed if uh, you know the taxi cab industry wasn't so like antiquated and arrogant and all the rest yeah. of. It. And that's my concern. And many times when, when you talk to private practices, you say, look, I know you don't have the scale, you don't have the buying power, you don't have the marketing muscle, but what you do have, it gives you a huge advantage over big box and national chains, is you have agility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in changing times, agility trumps everything. Yep. The, the bit that freaks me out is that sometimes it's the private practice that's the least agile. If you want to see how how to integrate digital and brick and mortar, you could do worse than look at uh, Miracle Ear or Beltone who have a mm-hmm. you know, COVID landing page, they have an online hearing test, they have book your appointment online, things that private practice should have been doing years ago.
0: Yep.
2: And when an organization can move 1200 locations in the right direction, and a practice owner can't move one, then we have a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all manufacturers, I'm not gonna give Phonak special credit, we are all constantly provoking and, and pushing and nudging, saying, come on guys, let's keep going. Trust me, you'll be okay. And hopefully, you know, those who, who've taken a step because of what happened with COVID will recognize, hey, look, you know, we were learning as we go, to quote Megan, but you find the way, right? And, and then hopefully you keep moving. Um, yeah we have seen we had an explosion and in interest in remote support um we offered a, a training event um probably late march and we had 300 people attend and it's the kind of audiology training that normally 25 people show up mm-hmm. and, them and really yeah. listening right we had 300 <laughs> we put on two more we ended up with almost 800 people attend these courses in the space of three days with no great marketing push people really interested what we've now seen is a decline in the number of clinics. So they all used it during COVID and then they're like, well, COVID has passed, thank heavens. I can push that to one side and go back to the good old ways of doing things. And I think, you know, for for, for them, at least they took a step, but I hope they reconsider and, and, and really get involved again.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's some really, really good points that, it- both of you made there, and one thing I want to just uh point out I actually minutes before we were started recording this, I came across this article that I thought was super interesting. It was like you know just a by happen chance, but it was all about uh orthodontistry um but it's a it's a company it's called ortho fx, and the parallels are like identical to this industry because it's basically uh a group of um Uh, and and venture capital that backs them. But um, what they recognized was that uh, it's like kind of to Megan's point, the audiologist is front and center, I think, in the value, uh, you know, really where the, the heart of the value sits here is the expertise, the shepherding, if you will. And what's so interesting about this is they basically came to the same conclusion, which is that you know, this is a very online-centric model. It's something that you know you get shipped this like high-end, uh, you know, like uh, Invisalign-type thing. It's like Bluetooth and and all these different things, but the whole thing is guided by the orthodontist and it's done remotely. and And I just thought it was fascinating that like you have this you know peripheral industry um, where they've kind of come to the same conclusion that at the end of the day. Uh, You know, for us, like, I don't think that it's going to necessarily be a tech company um, that just comes in and just supplants this whole industry. Or I don't think that it's going to be somebody that's just true digital online only. I think that the audiologist is going to be really, really important here. But I think that the question is, is like Jason said, like, it's the agility piece. It's who is going to be the ones that are, I think, savvy enough to figure this out because. I think what we might see, like my gut says that we'll probably see some people that just kill it. They absolutely th- thrive coming out of this because I think that a, you know this has been a period of introspection within your practice to figure out what are ways that we can change and get better and, and, and refine things um, and make that whole thing as optimal as possible um, so that as things do eventually kind of normalize, I think that the behavior is really being cemented right now where people are going to kind of just begin to um, think that this is like, you know, a digital offering isn't must, you know, it's like, why wouldn't you have a remote element to this? if the guy down the street does. Um, So I do think that there is a little bit of a standardization that's happening right now around some of these digital oriented services um, that doesn't necessarily take away from the value that I think the practitioner provides or the traditional mechanisms. I think they amplify them. I think there are new ways to bring that value and make it way more accessible. Again, I keep going back to this real time support, that is such a game changer in my eyes. I mean, I think you could just have a whole day where as a provider, you know, you might spend 60, 70% just going through these and having these real-time consultations. And I think of that in the, you know, in the shoes of the patient. And that to me is really, really valuable is you have that one-to-one connection with either the clinic or even the provider that is like, you know that you have the ability to you know, contact them, set up one of these real-time appointments um, so that you can make sure that you're having that optimal experience. That to me is gonna trump any kind of like feature or benefit that comes along or, or different kind of like pricing model. Being able to access the true value, the provider and their expertise and the shepherding, um, I think is like at the heart of where you can really adapt here.
1: But I think the thing is that you can't push the easy button, right? I mean, Mm it's because each person is going to be different in their level of comfort with a a more digital type strategy. Uh, I'm thinking about some patients that I were younger that I've talked to about doing, you know, virtual visits with them and remote programming and some would rather come into the office and that has surprised me too. I think um there are those people who are intimidated by that no matter what their age is and then others who have embraced it where i was surprised i think i think it is like we've said before i think it's a spectrum and i think it for to truly do well uh the audiologist has to think about what the person's needs are what the person expresses maybe what their concerns are and uh there are there are people too who may have to be inched towards technology uh, patients as well as audiologists I think that um, it, it's 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 been surprising to me who has kind of embraced having those types of visits but not everybody does there's a there mm-hmm. there's, there's a there's a definitely a population where I've said well I can just I can call you at this time and we can well no I think I would rather just come into the office
2: well you're giving them the choice right yes exactly And probably 90% of consults around the country they didn't know there was an alternative. Or when they rang the front office, um, which sounds crazy to me, but they picked up the telephone and spoke to somebody and tried to book an appointment. The front office didn't give them the option of a remote option if they're an existing patient. They said, yeah, we'll book you in three o'clock and you know where we are. You know, there's a whole kind of ecosystem that needs to evolve. I just wanted to share, I just saw this this morning. We got a note from um, the clinic kind of funny i had a guy yesterday who's camping and he went outside to get a better wi-fi signal at the campground so that he could get a good connection for our session by the time we finished he could hear the birds chirping it was fun he's walking around outside whatever works i mean those sort of stories mm -hmm, Uh, that's what audiologists live for that's why that's why they do that and not speech or or something right they they live that instant gratification and changing a life and and so technology doesn't need to conflict with that. I think it really enables.
0: And the other thing too with that is like, this is such a word of mouth type of sale that what's that guy going to do? He's going to go and he's going to tell anybody that is of, you know, in the market for this, that yeah. like this exists. You know, I was able to get a real-time consultation when I was camping. That again, like that's, I think what's making me so optimistic about the future of this industry is that. It's like you said, it's not necessarily like the technology as much as the technology is just enabling the value. It's it's allowing the value to become that much more accessible.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome. Well, very cool, guys. Well, thank you, too, very much for joining me today. I thought this was a great conversation. It was really great to have two different perspectives, the audiologist and the hearing aid manufacturer rep. Um, so thank you two very much for coming on today and thank you for everybody who tuned in here to the end. We will chat with you next time. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of future ear radio for more content like this, just head over to FutureEar.co, where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.